3: The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
0: It's short track racing is where all racing started. I mean, it's even the NASCAR world started short track racing back in the day. And we just want to tell a great story. to, And to, not a story, we want to tell factual guidelines here's the unfiltered honest stories of how grassroots racers have and can achieve their racing goals
1: fast car to nascar hosted by nascar driver mike wallace All right, everybody, welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight, and we'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Today's guest may not be a household name, but the uh, race team sure know him from Stock Car Steel and the SRI family of brands, providing parts and services to the racing industry for more than 23 years. Right here in Race. City Mooresville, North Carolina. Say hi to Greg Fornelli. Greg, say hi to Mike Wallace.
0: Hello, Mike Wallace. Hello, Greg. How you doing, man? It's a blast to have you on today.
2: Doing fantastic, and uh, everyone out there. Mike is a good friend and a good man. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, good. We got that disclaimer out of the way, right? (laughs) How much did that cost? (laughs) (laughs) That that cost a lot. But uh, Uh yeah, for the average race fan, as Jeff opened the show. Greg is incredibly well-known in the race world. Everybody knows him. Every crew chief, every crew member, every owner, driver. And the best part, most everybody likes him. Yeah, wow. He is like the... you ever heard the story i might not have won all the races but i never lost a party right. greg, greg is the man that handles that whole thing so uh he just celebrated a big yeah. 25th anniversary uh for his for his business a couple of weeks ago man every uh every driver crew chief from old days to current and you can tell how the time progression was i was there early <laughs> and then as I'm leaving, and others were leaving, here comes Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Brad Sweet, the young Fraser. guys, yeah. The late- <laughs> and Fernelli's wide open the whole time. So.
2: Well, that's that's a, that's a rare occasion, I think, just because it was my part, Because I'm usually sneaking right out with
0: you, Mike. All right. Well, Greg, let's let's bring everybody up to speed. I'm going to say it this way. Then we're going to back up and where you come from. So your company, Stockar Steel SRI, is the provider of just multitudes of materials for the nascar and all forms of racing give us a little background on the company then we're going to go back to where you come from
2: sure you got it yeah well like you said um my little family of businesses basically from bumper to bumper provides materials to build race cars from tubing for chassis to bar stock for engine parts and chassis parts and suspension parts for the machine the the racers machine their own parts. Um, from the actual race parts there are we we represent over four hundred of the industry's top brands of performance parts from you know shocks and springs to engine parts to safety parts and then of course all your chassis parts. So basically bumper to bumper we provide Um, parts and pieces to build race cars and that is from the highest level in the you know cup series nhra top fuel um imsa uh, world of outlaws sprint cars the entire you know from top of the the pyramid all the way down to you know the grassroots racers who we are just as excited about them as we are the top tier guys um so yeah basically that's it we've got branches in north carolina a couple in north carolina and then one in brownsburg indiana just a suburb of indianapolis and we uh, we touch and feel all these teams every day
0: all right well that's a background of the story the the company now we kind of grew up close together of course we never knew each other back in that day but i believe you came from the kansas city area i came from the st louis area but what what did greg Fernelli do before he got into motorsports are the I'll say the parts of business, were you always in this type of industry? Did something attract you to it? Get, get, let's start at the background. How'd you get here?
2: Sure. Not yet. No, not at all. I, um, I had zero background in racing and, and, uh, you know, when I first started my business, uh, I know Jeff said earlier about 23 years, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary of business. And 25 years ago, when I started Stock Car Steel, I knew nothing about racing. And it's been kind of embarrassing to say now, but back then when I started Stock Car Steel, the, the customers are out there, you know, from, from Dale Earnhardt to Hendrick, any of those guys, they really did not care at all that I didn't know racing. Um, they cared about one thing that I knew about steel and that's what I did. My background was in steel. My father retired uh, from a steel mill. He was a blue collar guy my whole life. He worked extremely hard. I mean, you know, my dad is where I, you know, luckily got my work ethic from cause he was a machine and uh, I have early memories of being, you know, three, four five years old, Family day at Armco Steel in Kansas City. You used to have family day, and you could, you know, my dad and all the workers would bring their families in, and I remember being on my dad's shoulders at, you know, at an electric furnace with, you guys have probably seen it, like a, something on TV where the ladle's pouring the molten steel, and it's popping, and I'd be on my dad's shoulders crying, going, get me out of here, and, you know, <laughs> he'd he jack me up and say, toughen up, boy, but I, I got those memories of steel, so I kind of, you know, my, my entire life, my dad was in the steel industry. So I had the steel background. And I, um, got out of college and I figured that was enough bartending and managing a bar. I better get a real job. So I started working at a steel company in Charlotte. Uh, I mean, in Kansas city called uh, Ryerson steel company, but I still had an itching. I, I, I worked in the bar business for five, six years. And that's what I thought was my calling. I wanted to, I wanted to open my own bar really bad. Um, I was an entrepreneur since I was a little kid. Um, like I said, my dad, you know, was a labor guy so he didn't have we didn't have a lot of money but i loved things so i i learned to work i was very very young Um, whether it be paper route or mowing grass or you know whatever it has shoveling snow raking leaves i always earned money um but i wanted to open a bar really bad had no money got a job at a steel company just because i thought well i can get in there my dad has connections in the steel industry so i got a, a job selling steel but that company ryerson steel paid for uh, you to get continued education. So I thought, well, if I'm going to open a bar, I better. I didn't learn much in college at all because I worked at a bar five years. <laughs> um, but I uh, I said, I better learn more. So I went and got my master's degree. I got an MBA, business degree. Oh, my gosh, do you have a master's
0: price.
2: degree? I do, sir. Oh,
0: my gosh. That's something I just <laughs> yeah. learned. Okay. Yeah, uh,
2: surprising, right? He's, I, he's I, very learned as well. He
0: learned? Yeah. <laughs> he is. I, <laughs> I thought he he learned how all this do all this party stuff on his own. He's got a master. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> you know? No, I got a master's degree. Party He's professional. Master- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: Anyway, this probably long story short. I'm probably dragging on too much. No, but no I, got, right you know, I did my thesis on opening a brew pub. Uh, you know, and that's what I thought I would do. And then once I got my master's, some job offers came. And in the steel industry, one of them was moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. I worked for a small steel company called Sunbelt Steel. Uh, the man, the owner was the manager. He kind of wanted to get out, and he thought I could get in there and learn the business, end up becoming a manager, maybe get some ownership and that thing. So that's what I did. I moved to Charlotte. Scary as could be, I I grew up with my kindergarten friends. I moved, I like, think, four times my entire life at home, and they were all within the same zip code. You know, I was, I'd never really left my little home in Kansas City, which was comfortable, so it was really scary, but packed up my dogs and moved out to uh, Charlotte and started this job. And at that company called Sunbelt steel, uh, I was an outside salesman and I would, um, I would call on just industrial guys. We sold alloy round bars. So uh, carbon and steel alloy round bars. So they were, um, you know, just from 25, 26 inch round all the way down to, you know, quarter inch round. And um, I was an outside sales guy. I loved cold calling the, the company I worked for had never had an outside guy. So the kind of the world was my oyster and it was all in North Carolina, South Carolina basically that 85 corridor from Charlotte all the way to, you know, Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson was just ripe with, you know, textile machinery companies and a lot of bar stock being chewed up down there. And what I'd learned to do is I would see a strip mall um, that looked like, hey, this might have some industrial accounts in it. And I would drive behind the back of the buildings to see if I could see a barrel full of chips. When I say chips, I mean, they, you know, these bars are put on a lathe and they machine them into, ra- into parts, sorry, any into, into parts. And then when you're machining a, a bar on a lathe, it produces these little metal chips. And typically they put the metal chips in a barrel, put the barrel behind the building. So I'd drive back there to see if there was metal chips. And if there was, I'd go knock on the front door. So fast forward to one day, I am driving around Concord area and I drove up to Charlotte Motor Speedway. First time I ever saw it, I could not believe how big it was. You know, I grew up going to Kansas City Chiefs Stadium and the Royal Stadium. So when I saw Charlotte Motor Speedway, I was, you know, I was taken aback how big and cool it was. Spent the day piddling around there, drove that van around on the tour, and it was just really cool. And they were telling me, hey, you know, Hendrick Motorsports is right on the street. They've got a museum you could check out. So I went there, and uh, while I was in the museum at Hendrick, there's a, uh, at the time, this is 30 years ago, there was a glass wall that looked into the fab shop, and as I looked in there, I saw some steel. I said, oh, wow, they, he's a little steel. So when I left, I drove around back and saw a barrel full of chips. So I said, whoa, wait a minute here. Mm-hmm. So I ended up just, you know, it took me a few weeks to, to, to meet the guy, Gary Poling. Everybody calls him Sarge. And and uh, so I started selling him some steel. Started selling him bar stock and, um, you know, developed a relationship with him. He started telling other teams about me. And then uh, then he said, hey, you know, Greg, Bar stock we use a lot of, but what we use a lot of is tubing and sheet metal. Why don't you start stocking that? And I was like, oh, okay. So I talked my boss into doing it, and we um, we started a little race car division. You know, I I, I printed up some flyers and I you know kind of used. And again, when you walk into any race team and say I sell Hendrick all their stuff, people will listen to you. And so, started this little division of race race team, you know, race car steel, and it just kind of took off. Um, and then, eventually, though, my boss said, this is a pain in the butt. You know, we don't, we don't want to do this anymore, because... Frankly, Mike, dealing with you racers can sometimes be a pain in the butt.
0: Um, (laughs) I I hope that wasn't directed directly towards me. (laughs) I
1: don't think the driver's buying the steel anyway, right? No, exactly. (laughs) The driver bends
2: the steel. (laughs) That's right. And and back then it was a lot more, you know, rudimentary than it is now. It wasn't such a profession. And and really these guys, you know, they ordered when they were out. If they're building a race car, they'd. Go to the steel rack to grab a piece of tube, like oh, we don't have any. Okay, call for nail and get it here today, and that's kind of what happened. And it just didn't really work with a big steel company that was, you know, that was used to being busy having nothing to do with race teams. Um, so my boss said, "This doesn't. This is not really working too well." Um, and that is,
0: and I, I'm rambling
2: too much. Just tell me to
0: take no, it. No, I'm trying. To, I, I've. No, it,
1: it's obvious that you're you're very good at what you do because you have the gift of gab, Greg. That's
2: <laughs> right, right, right. I haven't had to say a word. Yeah. Right. And, it's and it's the easiest show
0: ever.
2: Listen, you tell me to tell me to take an hour to talk about my favorite subject, me.
0: <laughs> well, that that'd be a three-hour conversation in this room because right. we can all talk about ourselves pretty good. Exactly. Exactly.
2: So, uh, you know, just, and I'll try to wrap it up. So, my boss said this isn't
0: working. No, you do um, have to I wrap agree. it up. We just need you to okay. take a segment in two minutes and 55 seconds. <laughs> We're going to yeah. take a break. You'll have to come up for air <laughs> in about yeah. two and a half minutes. Okay. We're going to come all back. Right, all
2: right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it might be a good good transition time because, and this isn't something I want to ramble on or not, but this is kind of a big important part of the story. Is right after that is when I got diagnosed with cancer. So, I had a uh, pretty brutal form of bone cancer in my jawbone. And, um, it was, uh, you know, kind of a crazy time in my life. I just turned 30 years old I had one month old little baby and I got this diagnosed, which was really, you know, kind of uh, shocking. It was, you know, it's pretty, uh, you know, not a great cancer to have. It was life expectancy was really low. And so that's when I said, you know what I am going to quit my job and I'm going to start stock car steel. And, um, everybody in my life thought I was crazy. You know, I had a job with good insurance and I, I said, nope. I remember calling my mom and saying, hey, I'm, I'm quitting my job and going to start this business. And she's like, uh, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. And everybody, you know, my, my wife at the time said do it and supportive. But so I did. I quit my job and, uh, you know, and all the good insurance, I went along with it. And um, I was doing chemotherapy at the time, and I wrote the business plan for Stock Car Steel. And uh, I didn't have a hair on my body. I remember going to DEI and, you know, looking like Mr. Clean, <laughs> and saying, hey, uh, I'm going to, you know, and Randy Earnhardt at the time said I walked out the door after I'd given my spiel, and they all just started cracking up, laughing, and, you know, going, what the heck was that, man? But that's kind of where it, it, that's where Stockard was born.
0: Well, that, that's an incredible story. I mean, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk for quite a bit longer, as long as you, you want to talk, and I don't think you're going to be short on that. <laughs> uh, we're going to let Jack, Jeff take us away for a minute, and we'll be right back. We're talking to Greg Fornelli, Stock Car Steel and
1: SRI. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Today's guest from Stock Car Steel, Greg Fornelli. Take
0: it away, Mike. Well, Greg, we're back and we're learning so much about you. What I loved about it is how you've just come up with this idea that you're going to start Stock Car Steel. And what I I'd really like to know first of all, the the customers that you started with, like the Hendrick, the the DEI, the Childress, whatever, what did those people do for product before you created your company? How did they obtain materials to buy car you know, race car parts or metal yeah.
2: It was not easy for them. There was, you know, they um you know, there was there was a one, you know, a couple big there was every big steel company is in Charlotte. You know, there there was no no lack of of availability it's just you know the big steel companies don't like dealing with smaller accounts especially one like a race team and um, people ask me all the time how do you compete with the big guys and the answer is that steel companies you know like like Ryerson where I grew up at um, they like a customer who buys a whole lot of a few things right they like large line items and they like they like customers who buy a whole lot of a lot of things but what race teams do is they buy a little bit of a ton of different stuff, of a very diverse product mix. So whether it's, you know, tubing or sheet metal or bar stock and it's, you know, and whether it's aluminum, steel, stainless, chromoly. So, you know, the typical order for even a big race team might be one length of this, a half a sheet of that, five bars of this. So it's just very little line items. Now it adds up over a year, but it's not, you know, it's not kind of what a big steel company likes to, to do so we were really unique we were able to be nimble and you know i love those large you know those big customers that buy small quantities and it fit in perfect with my little business model
0: so the business model got wrote you were fighting cancer life-threatening cancer at the time you wrote the business model take us from there once the model was wrote how did how did you get a building how do you even think about ordering stuff how did you get business oh
2: gosh yeah, it was uh, at the beginning. It was crazy, man. I remember I bought a uh, an old landscape trailer from the back of the want ads in Charlotte Observer, and uh, went, you know, drove down to kind of a gnarly part of town and picked up uh, this trailer from this Russian dude. Um, the first thing I ever bought was a red Dodge pickup truck. Yeah, it's crazy. I bought this red Dodge pickup truck that's still sitting behind Stockar Steel's building over there. Um, it's you know, it's got trees growing out of the back of it, but that was the first thing I ever bought. Um, and then, you know, I rented a warehouse over at the drag strip in Mooresville and, um, my, actually my, my late father and I built some of the racks ourselves. We, you know, we built the steel racks to hold the steel ourselves. And, um, and then, you know, the, the beginning days were hectic. I'd sit behind my desk all by myself. I'd sit behind my desk and the phone would ring and, you know, say it was Hendrick and said, Hey, I need 200 foot of inch and three quarter. 0 95 DOM. You having that in stock? I'd say, Oh yeah, sure. They'd say, okay, we, We could sure use that this afternoon. I'd go, no problem, you'll have it. I'd hang the phone up. I'd think, oh crap, where am I going to find that? (laughs) (laughs) Because it wasn't in my warehouse. So, you know, I'd frantically try to find it and I'd, you know, I'd drive down to South Charlotte and take up 400 feet and then drive to Hendrick and bust the bands on the 400 feet and give them, you know, 10 of the links and I'd band it back up and bring the other 10 back to my shop. So that's the way it was at the beginning. It was crazy, but. You know, the one good thing is that I had some allies, you know, again, it was just from relationships and, and, you know, like for instance, Gary polling, I'd mentioned earlier, Sergeant Hendrick, when I, you know, I was selling him steel, I got sick. I wrote this business plan. Uh, you know, I, part of my business plan was, you know, doing some, some, uh, you know, some checking strip you know, market research and saying, if I bought, if I opened this, would you buy from me? And, you know, Gary said, the second you open, you've got all of Hendrick's business. So they were very patient with me. They weren't, you know, they weren't really worried about price at the time, which I wish they weren't now, but they are, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, I got helped by a lot of people in history and, um, so that's what it was, hectic. it was crazy. I mean, I finally ended up hiring some people, I mean, I've got some funny stories from way back when, but. Um,
0: yeah. So why do you think, I, I mean, I know Greg Fernelli of today and for the last 25 years, and you're just a great guy to be around, but you're an incredible business person. Out. You know all what's going on, but what do you think convinced them, or Gary, Sarge, back in the day, go, hey, no, Greg, you're, we're going to work with you. I mean, what did you, were you just uh, giving them a, something they didn't have, a one-stop shop, I guess I'll say it that way, or they just liked you?
2: No, I think it had nothing to do with liking me, to be honest. I mean, it doesn't hurt, right, that you develop relationships. But, you know, they – and they. that's what I kind of uh, alluded to earlier, too. They didn't care that I wasn't a race fan. I knew where to buy steel. I knew how to buy it. I knew, you know, to negotiate it cheap, that I could market up and sell it to them cheaper than they ever bought it before. I mean, some people in the industry were taking advantage of the race teams quite a bit. For instance, uh, you know – the stuff that you know, they're kind of gone now, but the English wheels of the old day when they would, you know, make their own fenders with an English wheel. And I don't know if anybody out there in the audience has ever seen that happen, but it's, it's pretty interesting what they used to do with, you know, there were artists out there that used to make fenders and sides out of sheet metal, flat sheet metal with an English wheel. And
0: guys that were really good at it got paid a lot of
2: money. Um, but so, you know, Hendrick would order like, they would have to order like 400 sheets at a time. From this steel company. I, I won't name them, but, and it was special, you know, race car stock. And so they would get these 400 sheets and Hendrick would peel off, you know, 25 of them and send them to Roush and peel off 50 of them and send them to DEI or whatever. And, you know, a lot of this 24 gauge is really thin and the chemical makeup of this stuff, to, well, it worked well with the, with the English wheel, would cause it to, to they call it oil can, but it would get a bend in the sheet really easy. And that would, you know, pretty much scrap the whole sheet. So, you know, handling it a lot of times is just not a good thing. So it was a pain in their butts to do this. Well, I called the guy at Hendrick. I said, hey, I, I called the company that was selling it to them and said, hey, listen, guys, I opened this company. I'll buy 400 sheets for you at a time. And then I'll sell it to all the race teams. You know, can you, you know, what can you do me for 400 sheets? And they go, oh, you know, the price is, you know, $100 a sheet. I'm like, well, that's what you sell it to the teams for. I need to buy a little bit cheaper so I can mark it up like hundred bucks a sheet. Sorry, bud. I'm like, Oh God. Okay. So I had Hendrick send me a test report, which is what the steel mills send you, which kind of the whole, you know, the grade of the steel, the makeup of the steel, the chemistry, the mechanicals, all the, you know, kind of the table, of contents of the steel, so to speak. And I had him send me a test report for it. And it turns out it wasn't any special race car steel. It was just off the shelf DQAK. It's the kind of stuff that, steel mills make for like, you know, making wash machines and, you know, stamp. it's it's easy to stamp, but it takes a form really easy. And it was just normal stuff. And I knew right where to get it. So I bought a hundred sheets from one of my connections and paid half the price. And these guys were trying to sell me to for 400 sheets. And, and the the industry loved it and they, they were paying a lot less and they could buy one sheet from me instead of buying 400. So just things like that is why I think, the teams trusted me and, and went with me because again they didn't care I wasn't a fan and didn't care I was a nice guy who liked to go to the bars. They cared that I knew steel.
0: Well there you go. Now tell us help us a little bit real quick. So the average person is listening to this show right now, so you say the word steel and they just think, Oh, it's steel, but you were sounding like there's a lot of science in steel there. Is there is there a lot of different types of, of steel out in the world for different usages?
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, whether it be 4130 chrome alloy steel, which is used heavily in the dirt market, in the NHRA market, it's a stronger, um, you know, high strength, low alloy steel. So it's able to weld and bend pretty well still, but it's got a lot more strength and and rigidity to mild steel, tube, which they use in the NASCAR cars. Uh, You know, the the tests with NASCARs are mild steel tubes a little bit better because it absorbs energy when it crashes and, and, you know, takes kind of the energy out of the... Of the car before it reaches the cockpit where the drivers sit, so you want that car to crumble a little bit. Where you know more, more uh, you know dirt cars, sprint cars, they're they're more worried about rollovers than they are really you know head-on crashes. So you know the rollover is a lot better with the forty-one thirty-two, a little more strength. Um, you know, like I said, with the sheet metal, there's uh, there's various grades of sheet metal, and again, we got the DQ. It's called drawing quality aluminum killed that they use for the English wheels. You've got, um, you know, straight 1008 coal-rolled steel which you use other places in the sheet metal. Aluminum sheets, you've got 3003 aluminum sheets, 6061 aluminum sheets. There's all kind of different. Okay, so there's all sorts grades. of different
0: stuff, Joe. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You wow. see, now If I was sitting in the studio, you could kick me under the table and say, "Enough!" You know, that's what Jeff just did to me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, so you see, what we're trying to do is tell everybody. You know, this whole concept of this show is: who were you? Where did you come from? How? What do you do? And I didn't realize there was so much involved in the materials that these race cars we drive. Right. I mean, there's some technical stuff. You know, give me a piece of tubing. Well, it's not just a piece of tubing. But we'll move forward, Greg. As you, you've progressed your business, you know, you've got that old red pickup truck, the old trailer. The Russian Alley guard down the alley got, to, got you hooked up. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So it gets better and better. So you, you started with stock car steel. And then where did the company go and how did it progress from that point?
2: Yeah. So, you know, we threw, you know, great employees, which I, you know, I ended up hiring. It's hard to hire people and, you know, you kind of, you try to do it all yourself, but it doesn't work. So hired great employees and we kept growing and growing and growing. The our growth curve is is pretty scary when someone looks at it, especially the banks and how we did that and survived, But, uh, because back then I didn't really pay attention to accounts receivables all that much. So I would, you know, Oh, I'm selling a lot, but in reality, I, they weren't paying for it. Most of the stuff I was selling. So I was just giving it all away. But, um, that got better and better once I hired someone to help me with that. But anyway, um, yeah, we grew really quickly. I mean, pretty much got a monopoly on the, the NASCAR industry with, you know, within our little hundred mile radius of this place. And then it was like, okay, I want to still grow. You know, how do I grow forward? And, you know, there's two ways of doing that. One is I've got this diverse product mix of all these different types of steel and aluminum, kind of like I described earlier. You know, race teams use a little bit of a ton of different stuff, so i got a really neat product mix. You know, can I go out and find other industries that buy those products? Sheet, uh, I mean, sign companies and, you know, uh, hobbyists and small little fabricators throughout, you know, for whatever it is, repair shops. Um, I could do that, which, you know, we did. But Or can I find more products to sell to my captive audience, to my customer base, who I've got a very good relationship with the barrier to entry is pretty high. You know, these brace teams just don't talk to anybody that walks the door. So can I find other products to sell them? And that's the route I went. I said, you know, what else can I sell these guys? And, um, you know, uh, a, a company came available called SRI supplies. And, um, it was an industrial supply business that sold like, you know, adhesives Bondo and stuff, abrasives, braces, sandpaper, you know, stuff like
0: that. Let um, me ask you a question real quick. SRI yeah. supplies, what's the SR stand for?
2: Or does it uh, stand Supplies, for- yeah, it's the, it, was, it used to be supplies for racing and industry. So at the time I bought the business, they were selling to race teams and, you know, industrial accounts. Um, now, my company was pretty much just racing. So, you know, when I bought the business, I kind of you know, let the industrial side go. It was, so we kind of changed the name now to supplies for the racing industry, Uh, not for supplies (laughs) and for racing and industry. It was supplies for racing industry. Um, So, yeah, so we, we, that company was a small company. Um, They were struggling pretty hard, very good vendor relationships and really good employees, but just not, and and good sales guys just, they didn't have any business. Sense, to be honest with you. Um, the, the kid that owned it, just—you know he didn't have a banking relationship. Horrible inventories. They were back-ordered all the time. So he needed help, so I bought that business. And then that took off like crazy, too. So we were able to parlay. Um, the, and, and again, everything that SRI supplies sold, most all of it goes to work on metal. So if someone's buying metal, they're buying the supply business. If someone's buying the supplies, they're probably buying metal. So the synergies were amazing.
0: Well, that that's incredible growth, incredible tide. Jeff, I think the man knows a thing or two about steel. He, right? He's got me odd. I'm kind of tongue-tied. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not used to Fernelli talking this like professional and all these details. You know, normally no talking about what, what What do you want to drink? Last call. You know, <laughs> exactly right. But, <laughs> Why why don't you take us out of here, Jeff, and we'll come back and talk to Greg Fernelli. Hey,
1: we're talking to Greg Fernelli from Stock Car Steel. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car and a NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're talking to Greg Fernally from Stock Car Steel. The man knows a little thing about steel. Now, do they call you the Steel Man or anything like that, Greg?
2: Uh, they yeah, the Man of Steel, right, Clark Kent? Yes.
0: Yeah, John Yeah.
2: John Darby used to call me the thin man because I'd always try to cheat up the steel a little bit for all the race guys. He'd get so mad at me. He'd call me into the NASCAR head and say, all right, Fernelli, I warned you once. You know, you can't be cutting the stuff too thin.
0: <laughs> hey, but, speaking of that, uh, Greg, tell us just real quick. That's a storyline. What, what do you mean by cutting the, the material too thin? Because a lot of the people that are listening, a lot of truck drivers driving down the road right now, they know how to build these race cars when they're talking about thin metal. What, what do you mean by that?
2: Well, we developed a, a, a process where we would turn, grind, and polish the tubing. So, you know, inch and three-quarter, 095 walls, which is the rule book for a roll cage. Well, we bought a centerless grinder, so we would get that inch and three-quarter, 095, and we would turn the OD down to where we would find the lowest part of that tube, and we, once it hit 090, we would stop grinding it. So it shaved off quite a bit of weight in the cars, um, by, you know, upper weight too, you know, kind of up top uh, roll bars. And, which is really important to have those as light as possible. So it was always in the rule book, usually, um, but we would try to fit them up the 24 gauge for the for the size and stuff that English wool stuff. So there's a standard nominal thickness where we would order it from the mill as thin as possible. Um, just every, it's, steel is all sold in tolerances, you know, plus or minus on the wall thickness, and typically steel mills like to make them a little bit on the plus side because they don't want it to be so thin that it, it gets rejected at the mill. So we would have to go out and buy special lots of tubing that was as thin as possible and still pass the rule book.
0: Oh, so you, you were helping the teams cheat then a little bit early on.
2: <laughs> never, Mike. No, <laughs> never, never. And like I tell NASCAR, too, I don't tell them what to, the, but they ask, they tell me what they want, and I provide it. I have no idea where that's going in a car.
0: I <laughs> All right. So somebody we, at the shop's cheating. Then
1: it's not, <laughs> not great. That's right. It's a, it's a creative. I'm, an, I'm an enabler.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. So as you've the company's going, you've went through the steel. You got this whole inventory full of steel. You got SRI. It's got all these other products lined up behind it. Uh, Any if you got steel, you got SRI. You got SRI. You got, you're using steel. But your company keeps getting bigger, and the reason this is important to me as a local racer where I grew up short track racing, you know, we had to go to like all these different sources back in the day to buy parts and pieces, but like you make it all happen. You can almost, a racer can come to you or a team and buy about everything anymore, right?
2: Yeah, correct. So You know, from Stock Car Steel, it was the supply business. got the industrial supplies. And then, um, you know, five or six years ago, well, five years ago, six years ago, I'm sorry, was um, Clyde Vickers, a good friend of mine from CV Products. He came, hey, we're getting ready to sell our distribution business on the chassis side. Hey, Greg, hold that Um, thought just one second. Yes,
0: sir. Clyde Vickers got me my first cup ride. Did you know that? No, that's awesome. Yes, I Clyde Vickers back in the day worked with Howard Stewart, and they built water pumps. And oh yeah, Stewart Performance or Stewart something. And then uh, Clyde and Jimmy Means were really good friends, and that was my first cup ride, and it was it was orchestrated by Clyde Vickers. You just go ahead I'm that sorry awesome. was like cool, no that's cool,
2: awesome man. he is a what well, is all is about very, you Brian. very good man <laughs> yeah.
0: good and, and Clyde no, vickers listen, is that's Bri- that's... Brian vickers father oh, okay, the gotcha. Brian who raced a lot okay so yep at all yep. there was a storyline gotcha. here Jeff a... it wasn't just about me yeah, I'm not this show <laughs> is like, this show is like one big Lego yeah it is <laughs> like, everybody knows everybody's hooked to everybody somehow you know that's exactly right yeah okay that's so right. so you bought or you go back to Clyde Vickers yeah. I'm sorry so
2: Clyde no Clyde reached out and said, Hey, we're going to sell this distribution part you know we can't think anybody better to buy it so I said great so you know kind of announced we were buying that in uh November of 2015 and then um uh And then, yeah, I'm checking my dates. Yep, in November 2015. And so at the time, there was two competing performance parts businesses, and that was CV Products and Roush Yates Performance Parts. uh, You know, owned by Doug Yates, and Doug is another good friend of mine, and pretty big fish in our little pond. So when I bought CV Products, I was like, oh God, you know, I'm going to make. I hope Doug doesn't get pissed at me because I'll be competing against him. Then you know, blah blah blah. And right after we did the press release that I bought CV Products. Uh, Doug gave me a call and said, "Hey, Greg, can you come see me?" I was like, "Oh my God, yes, I will." And I was so damn nervous. I was like, "Oh God, he's going to be mad at me, you know? He's going to, you know, wonder what the heck I'm doing." And and so uh, I went. I think I did a shot of Jack Daniels at seven <laughs> in the morning and nice. went into his office and With uh, courage. Right, and he said, "No, I'm security not upset at Jack all. Daniels." <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "I'm not upset at all, but you know, listen, I think uh, you know." We've been talking about doing the same thing. It probably needs to be one guy anyway. We can't think of anybody better than you, so just buy me too. So in uh, December, um, a month later, I announced that I bought Roush's too. So then we, have, we turned those into SRI Performance. So SRI Supplies business um, kind of just got folded into SRI Performance. So SRI Performance today is a combination of CV products, Roush's Performance Parts and SRI Supplies. So truly now we are bumper-to-bumper, one-stop shop.
0: That's great. I was just that, that had to make you feel good when Doug Yates called you. I mean, even even though you said you were nervous and you had your bodyguard Jack Daniels with you early on, <laughs> uh, for him to just, hey, take over this business we started, yeah, we'll probably make a buck or two on it, but uh, that had to feel good, didn't it?
2: it? felt great. No, it felt great. And, and, and by the way, both those guys from Clyde, Clyde not as much because he, he kind of was on an exit out of there before, you know, kind of when I bought it, he had kind of already got some partners and they were kind of handling the deal, but he still certainly does. But, um, you know, Doug was so instrumental in helping. He, he really, it wasn't like, buy the business. See you later. It was a lot of, Hey, you know, how can we help? And between Jeff Clark and, and him and the whole crew over there, um, Todd and, and they all really helped the whole transition. And, um, it was a transition. Let me tell you, it was. Uh, it was. I mean, we all. It almost broke me. It was really, really a tough, tough transition. You know, buying both of those companies, who were competing against each forever, completely different cultures. You know, they didn't like each other. and I stuck them right under the same roof, and it was interesting. It was a. It was a, a roll of a time there when that happened. But we all got through it and made it out of the out of the the, the hurricane. And now we're a really, really, really strong company. I love
0: it. Outstanding. So how, through all of that, how did you advance your company to cater to all forms of motorsports? I mean, you know, it all started sounding like in a NASCAR cup world, bush world, we want to say then. But you're very well known, as you mentioned early in the show, drag racing, late model dirt cars, sprint car racing. I mean, I hear everybody talk about you in every aspect. How did all that materialize?
2: Well, I think it's kind of a, you know, top-down approach from, you know, from myself to my, you know, my management teams to all the general managers. You know, we know the importance of grassroots racing. And, you know, although the professional series, you know, those ones I mentioned earlier, even, you know, Rally Car and IMSA and Sports Cars, and, and those guys are, you know, they're big customers. They, they spend a lot of money with us. But, you know, there's only, let's say, cup teams, right? There's only 30-some cup teams, um, and there's, you know, probably 300,000, you know, late model stock guys across the country. So while, you know, the big, you know, big easy business is the ones in our backyard, the grassroots guys, the guys that are, you know, racing sportsmen at the dirt track, you know, they're just as important to us. And I think that message all the way down to our, to our, you know, guys that sit on the counter that answer the phones. Um, they know how important they are. They, they believe it and they love it. And another thing when I'm talking about employees is, one thing that sets us apart, too, and I think why we got the reputation we do, um, is that we don't just have phone order takers. The guys that work here, you know, they know products. They know racing. They, you know, they know how to talk racing. They know how to you know, tell these guys what they want. So I think that's why you know, we're known across every industry of, of motorsports because of our knowledgeable you know, sales technicians to our, you know, our care that every customer matters
0: sounds good jeff you got you got to have something you want to know about right yeah um greg what is what is
1: your role uh week to week at the racetrack do you guys do you go to the races do you do you service your your customers at the races how does how does that work
2: yeah that's another um company that we have uh and it's called sri track side yes (laughs) it's called sri track that's pretty much for sales tax reasons um, because you got to charge different sales tax in all these states. But SRI trackside is a, um, is a necessary evil. I'll just say it. We have a truck an 18 wheeler that goes to every single cup race um, and most every, uh, you know, Xfinity and truck race as well. Some of the ones that are not, you know, the same uh, weekend, different parts of the country may not make the truck race, but yeah, we have a, a parts truck that goes to every cup race, full of inventory, um, it is uh, it's a big expense and not a huge revenue builder, but it is you know crucial to sport and everyone in the sport appreciates that we do it. So it's well worth us doing it. Uh, I got to tell you, this year was especially hard. Um, it was hard enough when we had practice and qualifying and ARCA and you know everybody at the weekend and you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of a cup race is activity and the track's humming. And that did not happen during COVID. so it's even a, a tougher a tougher business model. but we love doing it. And we also have um, trucks that go to we have a, what we call the short track truck. It goes to all the large short truck races throughout the, um, throughout the year, snowball Derby, American 400, all those things. We, we do that with the short track truck. Then we have three different um, trailers that service local dirt tracks. So we go to the same exact dirt track uh every week with full of parts and those those trailers actually do pretty well those those are different business models the guys that go to those dirt races they buy stuff on the track a lot so it's a good it's a good model for us
0: you know i'm gonna go dirt racing in january again i'm going to yuma arizona for a week and i'm gonna race out there um, yeah, you like that Awesome, jeff that was about me just to let you know <laughs> yeah, i got it <laughs> It, it, it had been a while, so I would, yeah,
1: we were all jonesing for something to know about you, Mike.
0: <laughs> I just told the guy, the promoter out there, my brother Kenny and Kenny Schrader are going to be there, and I told the gentleman I'd throw in a few plugs along the way. So, oh,
2: that's I love it. it. All
0: right, tell us as we've, we we've learned. Tell us something we don't know about Greg Fernelli. We went through the business. We early just you know, for the this is for the person that doesn't know you. Tell us something about. We know you're a great businessman. We know you fought in uh, hopefully beating cancer. You've got a successful business. What, what's, the, what's the story only your close friends know about you? Well, um. And you don't have to tell I, the real stuff. I mean, you, no, gotta, right, you right. know.
2: Right, right. I got you. I got you. I, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I'm proud of is that, um, I have, you know, I, I remarried to a wonderful woman named Jennifer and we have, uh, so I have a, for my previous marriage, I have a 26 year old daughter who is an amazing individual. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina. And, um, she, uh, you know, kind of has an Asheville vibe to her, but she's awesome. Maybe a little different politically than I am, but that's okay. <laughs> Let's a, go, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. She would not say that, Mike.
0: <laughs> that's just a compliment um, to a gentleman that won a race in Talladega. That's, I mean, that's exactly right. That's right. I yeah. mean, we heard it on uh, NBC. So, they told us that's what happened. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Some yeah, people on pilot media even.
1: would disagree with you. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> the pilots are even saying it on
2: airlines now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: yeah um, i
2: heard a southwest so, guy i'm sorry go ahead yeah right right yeah so uh she's a, a beautiful you little know, human and i love her to death and um but and that was my first marriage and then i had a little you know life uh between the two marriages that we probably can't talk about on air <laughs> oh, <they> were, <laughs> that's the part
0: we're talking about skipping <laughs> <laughs> right right right
2: and then uh i met my uh my my beautiful wife jennifer uh, at a racetrack in chicago we were um she was uh, working for the chicago olympic bid the 2016 olympic bid chicago was trying to get the olympics and she was an attorney for the olympic bid and uh they had hooked up with nascar on some like uh, green initiatives um so she was uh tied in pretty pretty tight with the nascar folks working on that so i met her at a bar where i was with, uh, with yeah. Denny and a couple of my boys right and we were at this big vip area and her and a couple of her cute little girlfriends were trying to get in. So I, may, I probably went over there and met them and said, Come on in, girls. Come to our table and drink for free. And, um, anyway, I instantly fell in love with her. She was awesome. So, um, so I have a 26-year-old daughter, and Jennifer and I have a 7-year-old daughter and a 4-year-old son. Wow. So, yeah. Oof.
0: So there's oh, a really man. a real emotional side then the Greg Fernelli also. <laughs> Absolutely, buddy. I, I I think so. I um.
2: But let me. I tell you what. You talk about busy. We've got you know 80 employees now, and a lot of different growth initiatives going on. I I spend most of my time on strategy, and you know dealing with, um, you know upper kind of you know management kind of issues, and and strategy, and then growth strategies, and then you know got a couple little kids at home. So it's I'm a busy man. I'm busier now than I think I've ever been, and I love it.
0: Good. Hey, do you have another – can you stick with us for another segment? Sure. All right. Well, I want to talk to you about the new Cup cars because you're really in tune to that. And the, the fans are really wanting to know about it. So
1: We're talking to Greg Love Fernelli it. from Stock Car Steel. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Our guest today from Stock Car Steel, SRI, family of brands, and God knows what else he's got going on. Several irons in the fire. It's Greg Fornelli.
0: Mike, once again. Well, Greg, it's been wonderful talking about all the things and how your business has grown and how you cater to all forms of motorsports but kind of the head topic in all the NASCAR world today and all the race fans, and you you read it on social media, you talk to individuals, the new car, the new cup car. And you're, from what I've been told, you're very instrumental in that car, at least for the distribution of parts and pieces. Can you take us through what the new car is, how it came about, and where you fit into that picture?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um... You know, I think, you know, kind of, I'm sure most of you guys know all this, but you know, the, the, the thing, the next gen car was kind of born out of the necessity of the team saying, Hey, listen, this is not a great business model. You know, we've, we spend all this money, we build these cars, we we buy all these assets that really aren't worth anything unless you're a NASCAR owner and there's not, you know, the NASCAR owners aren't, you know, there's not people busting down doors to buy NASCAR teams. And so, because the business model is tough, right? You had a bunch of, of really passionate uh, owners and let's face it, majority of them are you know are multi-million or billionaires, and they don't mind you know spending this money and not getting a return. But it's just getting harder and harder and harder. So, uh, I think in a in a maybe you know a, a call for help from the t- team owners to NASCAR and for NASCAR to recognize what's going on and say hey, how can we make this better? You know the the uh, the next gen car was kind of born, um, and what that is is they're kind of making it more of a spec car, a modulated car. Uh, kind of looking at the sports car model, um, Indy car model, where you've got one manufacturer building a uh, a part, you know, a, a part of the car for every one of the teams, and they have to use that, that part. You know, teams like Joe Gibbs and Hendrick and Penske, so those guys build their own everything. And it even got to a point where, we'll use the Hendrick example, where, you know, the nine car uh, is using a completely different part than the 48 car who's using a different part of the 24 car, all the same part to do the same thing. But everybody just so worried about intellectual property and they want to make theirs a little bit better than this guy's that they're spending so much money on engineers. I remember Michael, Michael Wallstrip told me he started his team and I don't know the years, but he had five engineers when he started his team. By the time they shut that team down, he had 50 and he had 50 just to try to compete on the Cup Series at the top level because everything is over-engineered. Everything is you know, done in-house and engineered. and you know, You're trying to shave off that fraction of a second in qualifying or whatever it is, and that takes a lot of resources. So it was getting out of hand, out of control. So in order to help that, NASCAR said, hey, let's make this next-gen car. So there's 36 master parts. Some of those master parts have several parts underneath it that were brought out to, to, to quote. They were called RFPs. They were sent to anybody and everybody who wanted to quote them. Um, if, you know, most of them are you know, the experts in the field. Uh, for instance, like, let's just say shocks or dampers, they would send it to Penske. They would send it to you know Anybody that's out there making uh, shocks and, uh, for race cars, they sent those RFPs. Even people that weren't making them, they sent it to anybody that wanted them. And then that, those companies would get those RFPs. They would work up a price, how they would do it. The RFPs had specific questions you had to answer. You'd send your answers in, a group including NASCAR uh, officials and um, management and team engineers, team management, all get together and look at all the RFPs, and they would narrow it down to, say, three or five of those people. And those people would come in, present to a room full of all of those executives and all those decision makers, and then they would do their spiel and say, here's what we can, here's what we can do, here's how we do it, here's our price. And, you know, they'd have PowerPoints and put samples around the room. Then they would walk out. Then that group of people would decide who wins the RFP. So it narrowed it down. There's, a, there's 21 manufacturers making those 36 master parts. And um, where SRI fits in is we are distributing um, a little over half those parts. Uh, some of the parts NASCAR wanted to go straight to the, from the manufacturer to the team. Uh, some of the manufacturers had different distribution centers uh, before they even started this process. So we ended up with, you know, about half the parts, over half the manufacturers. And I, we foresee that number growing as this thing gets, um, you know, gets moving moving along.
0: For the race fan that's listening and learning about the next-gen car, are you telling us that all the teams were on board with this decision, or major teams were on board with this decision to go to this style of car? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. okay. That's, that, I'm just trying, there's a lot of questions people ask, and I think it's a good time. To- and here's one yeah. too. I, at the end of the day, and you guys'
1: uh, professional opinion is this car going to make racing better?
2: I don't know. It's, I,
1: it's just only your opinion, Greg. What do you think? I, I mean, would
2: say I would say on the racetrack to be determined. I would say as far as economics go, I think the long one is definitely going to help. I think it's going to bring in other other owners. I think it's going to bring in hopefully other manufacturers you know get a honda in here get a dodge back you know get some other manufacturers involved and i think as a whole it's going to do nothing but help our sport
0: so it's it's going to help our sport in for again we're, we're talking to the public through through us to let them know what's going on this Is a pricey race car, is it not? I mean, the new car, I mean, I hear people, I don't hear, I have people asking me, well, I hear that car is really expensive. And I said, well, I hear the same thing. Is it, Greg? Is it it an expensive piece to build?
2: I mean, again, it's probably not even in the ballpark of what the top tier teams are spending to make a race car. When you think of all those engineers, all those machining hours, I say this new car is, a lot more affordable now. Some of the smaller teams who are out there who are just buying what's left over of a Cup team are they? You know, we've got a used parts department here at SRI that is just huge. We've got teams that come here and, and run an entire series on used parts. You know, for instance, let's just say you know a drive shaft that you know has a hundred races lifestyle on. I mean, lifespan. Well, you know, a major Cup team, the big guys, will run it maybe three or four races, and they'll they'll say we're done with that one. And so they'll move it down to their Xfinity team or wherever, or they come into come in this used parts department, SRI, and sell it here. Then another team, a truck team, a, a late model stock team, an Xfinity team will buy that part and run that, and for pennies on the dollar, with still plenty of lifespan on it. So those teams, this car might be more expensive. You're, but in the long run, it's going to be cheaper because they're working out now on, on uh, you know, how to allot the used parts, the used cars of these teams to help the smaller teams. And it's weird because the more, you know, the, at first NASCAR kind of had a limit on how many of these parts you could buy, how many cars you can have in your, in your stuff of these next gen cars. And, you know, let's just say it's seven or 10 or whatever it is. That's all you can have in your fleet. Well, the small teams, I would think, oh, you know, that's, they're not going to have that many. They're, I bet they wish they would change that to three cars. Actually, the quite the opposite. They wanted the big teams to be able to have 20 cars because that means the smaller teams will be buy some of the cars from the big teams that they are you know not really you know that they want to move, you know move out they want to make room for their better cars so it it, it is i think in the long run going to save everyone money um, but i think the most expensive part for the big teams are is the amount of inventory they have right now of the current car and the current parts that go on the current car you know in one week are going to be you know paperweights they're going to be obsolete so for someone who's starting a team from scratch this is a whole lot cheaper than start than, than trying to jump into a current the current model
0: so uh, jeff what's that and, th- you think that you would like to then start a new racing series you and you and greg <laughs> can create a new one and take all these old race cars <laughs> yeah. right greg you, you up for that You can take a, get all the inventory and Jeff will promote the deal, and you finance it. we start and- a senior citizen league. How
2: about that? <laughs> <laughs> the Legends League, baby. Legends League. Yeah. I play in a Legend League basketball uh, league. But, yeah, I mean – they are, but listen, teams are already being creative. They're selling the road course cars. Like, I don't think Hendrick has any left because, you know, they're selling them to the public out there as, you know, as competitive, really good race cars.
0: I seen his ad um, so, the other but, day. Uh, Hendrick, no Hendrick track attack cars, it's called. Here's a
2: question for you, too. So,
1: so with the new next-gen car, is there a super speedway car and a short track car and a road course car, and, you know, like there is now? I mean,
2: you know.
0: Or, or, no, or, sure. Or there's not. one nope. car
1: fits all.
2: One car fits all. One gotcha. one set of um, springs. Well, now springs, they, they do a lot of different weights. So there, there's a lot of different springs. So one, you know, one, whatever you want to say. One, uh, you know, one spoiler, one hood, one, you know, it's all the same for every track.
0: Well, Greg Fernelli, I'm going to tell you, I've enjoyed the time we've had here. And I, I really appreciate you bringing everybody I'm going to call it up to speed on the new new car, but telling the world who you are, where you come from. There's so many things behind the scenes in motorsports that the average race fan has no ideal that it takes to put a race on. And you're such an instrumental part of it, you and your company uh so thanks for coming on today you got uh, how about a, a website you sell any swag or anything like that can anybody uh other than parts can we uh, got a
2: little swag but you know <laughs> more than anything we sell race parts on our you know we sell product to every racer out there so it's kind of neat that um you know somebody sitting in kansas city with a you know a, a late model stock in their garage that they race you know every other weekend can get online and buy the same exact stuff that Hendrick motorsports is buying so uh, we've got sriperformance.com, that's sriperformance.com, and stockcarsteel.com, uh, stockcarsteel.com, those two websites are, are e-commerce sites, they are, you know, there's, it's easy to work with, and by the way, we are um, launching brand new websites um, in, the, in the near future, and that'll be a big announcement bias, and so uh, we'll make sure to make it announcement on your show, hopefully, but yeah, that's going to be our big, one of our big future growth plans is, is e-commerce.
0: Sandy. Well, Jeff, what do you think? What are you Greg getting-
1: frenelli Yeah, I mean, you know, this has been a great conversation. So we wish you nothing but uh, health and happiness and tremendous success in the future. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Greg, back thank- at you guys. Thank you very much. And I, we are going to expand the studio. You are going to come <laughs> and sit down with us and uh, keep and, us up to speed. But and we for- will have a wet bar. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, listen, and I want to say one thing: is is thank you guys very much again, Mike. Thank you for your friendship for over the years, and thanks for having me on here. It really, it really meant a lot. To
0: well, thank you for taking the time. And Jeff, you know what it is now? It's your time. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR
1: with Mike Wallace on the Speedsport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.